Well, a very good evening to you. If I haven't met you before, my name's John. I'm part of the team here. It's uh, brilliant to have you with us. Amazing to welcome you if this is your first time uh, or you're visiting. Um, And you're here for a very special Sunday. Why? I hear you ask. Well, guys, it's palindrome sunday that's the date that's the date and it's the same date backwards as it is forwards i know that excites you all as much as it excites me it excites maybe five percent of you lots of people are taking pictures of it which is interesting i actually wasn't expecting that but um welcome to palindrome sunday whether you're in the states or in the uk just um for your interest we're going to start slightly differently today which is that you've just been chatting with someone to your left or to your right i want you to get more photos are taking place it's extraordinary palindrome sunday is a real hit um Turn to the person next to you, and I want you to share your story of how you got here tonight. Now, I don't mean like existential question of the last few years of your life and how you ended up in London and what that means for you being at KXC. I mean literally your journey here. Like when you stepped out your flat, when you stepped out of your halls, when you stepped out of your house, whatever that was, what was the bus journey like? What was the tube journey like? Who did you meet? What did you smell? What did you feel? Were you anxious? Was it exciting? Were you up for it or whatever? So turn to one person next to you and just have 60 seconds each. Share the story of how you got here today. 60 seconds each. And back together now. Now, my, my hunch is that at least 20% of you were talking about palindromes and what a palindrome was. Some of you are going to be wondering, what's the longest palindrome in the English language in terms of language? It's a good question. Detartrated is the one that you're looking for, which means to remove tartrates from your compounds. So any chemist in the room, that's a real gift for you. That's just the intro to the talk, so it had very little to do with the rest of it, but it's good to talk to each other, isn't it? It's good to share stories. And and we are in this series, which is going to come like a penetrating light at you from the front. You've all lit up like a Christmas tree, um, called Leave for the 99. And it's some language that is taken from uh, some stories in Luke 15, where there's this group of people, and they're huddled around the person of Jesus. And in that group, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly. There's those who society despises, who are looked down upon by pretty much everyone within society, the tax collectors and the sinners. And then you've also got the the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and they're in this group as well. And they're muttering, it's like, can you believe that this Jesus guy, he has lunch and dinner and meals with all of these other people. Can you believe that he mixes with them? And they all have different motives, right? The ones that are despised by society, the ones that culture would see as the the lowest on the ladder, they're there because they've seen incredible things. They've seen miracles taking place. They've seen healings. They've seen people raised from the dead. They've seen deliverance. They've seen people come free of addiction. And they're like, I want a piece of that. And the Pharisees are there for a very different reason. They're there to catch out Jesus. What's he doing? Who's he with? And Jesus, instead of confronting any of them head on with an answer about why he's there and what he's doing he instead tells this story he says imagine one of you any of you in this gathering in this little huddle had a hundred sheep and one of those sheep goes waddling off into the distance out of your pen you've lost them wouldn't you go after them isn't that the thing that you would do and you can kind of imagine a, a bit of a response a little bit like the one we've got now 
Except that wouldn't be the response. It'd be like, yes, of course I would go after it because that's my livelihood. That's everything that I have. That's my well-being. That's my wealth. My resource is tied up in that one sheep going away. He then tells two other stories, a story about a woman with 10 coins around her necklace and she loses one of those coins and he says she would do anything to get that coin back because that coin is valuable to her. And then he narrows it down even more, and he's, he talks about a dad who's, who's got two sons, and one of those sons goes walking off and says, I don't want to be part of this family bef- again. And eventually the son comes to his senses and starts walking back with this prepared speech of, I'm so sorry, Dad, for everything I've done, and the dad just sprints towards him. In each of these stories, he's saying, when you lose something, don't you go after it. When you lose something that's precious to you, when you lose something that is your all, that is your everything, that is your child, that is valuable to you, don't you go after it. And here's the the problem we've got from the outset. When we hear stories like that in our culture today, we do actually struggle to get it. Because here's the narrative that we live by here. Everything is replaceable. Everything is replaceable from the clothes that we buy to the friends that we make to the marriages that we form to the families that we have. Everything is replaceable. If I lose it, I can get another one. And Jesus is saying, if that's what you think about this story, you've totally missed the point. That which is valuable to you, that which is within your care, that which you are shepherding, that which you own, that which you are parenting, when you lose it, you go after it. And it's exactly the story of what he's, he's doing here. But for us, it's flipped the, up, the, the opposite way around. Like if you look at the stats, you look at London, you look at King's Cross, there's maybe 1% of people who would profess a faith, a live and kicking faith in the person of Jesus. 99% of people wouldn't say that at all. So we're living in this place where 1% of people are sat in the room, 99% outside of the room. And Jesus tells this story of when there's 99 in the room and one out, wouldn't you go after the one? It's as if he's challenging us, when there's one of you in the room and 99 out, wouldn't you even more go to go and find them? That's the challenge. That's the stirring that we're feeling um, at the moment at KXC, that God is doing something to energize us, to fill us with this passion to go after that which is lost, to go after those sheep that are lost, to go after people that are lost. That is where we find ourselves in this series. So for the next four weeks, we're going to be exploring what does it look like to be a sent people? Like the church was called to go. The very end of Matthew's gospel says, so go and make disciples. Don't just wait for them to come to you and then you can talk them into something. Go. We're called to movement. We're called to leave this place, to leave for the 99, which is why we're doing this series called Leave for the 99. And we're rooting ourselves in a story from John 4. It's about this interaction between Jesus and a a woman by a well. And Pete unpacked this a, a couple of weeks ago brilliantly. But here's the summary. Jesus is sitting down by a well. He's sitting down. He's tired. His disciples have gone to go and find food, so he's alone. And this woman comes in the heat of the day, right in the middle of the day, a Samaritan woman, to come and get some water. And Jesus asks one simple question that unlocks the most beautiful conversation. A theologically rich, a practical one, a spiritual one. All of these things are wrapped up in this conversation, which you can read in John 4. And he asks this question, will you give me a drink? It's pretty straightforward. She's getting water. Will you give me a drink? And she is totally taken aback by it. 
Now again, we struggle to get to grips of why, but she was a Samaritan. She was a woman and she was an outcast. So Samaritans, Jesus was a Jewish man. And that meant that the Samaritans were this like breakaway group from the Jews at the time. And it meant they did not mix. They weren't in the same places. They weren't in the same conversations. More than that, she was a woman. He was a single Jewish man. Again, you're not doing one-to-one time in any kind of public space. If you're a Jewish single man with a Samaritan woman, it's just not going to happen. And then here's the clue for the third one, that she's an outcast. It's the middle of the day. She's on her own. Why would you go to such a risky, dangerous place as it would have been on your own in the middle of the baking sun day? You'd go at the beginning of the day or the end of the day with everyone else. And it becomes clear that she's an outcast within her own community because of the things that she has in her story. Her history, her track record, she's been married five times. The man that she's with isn't even her husband anymore. Like in that culture, this would have been deeply shameful. And Jesus says, will you give me a drink? Simple question that unlocks the most beautiful kingdom conversation. Every social norm was thrown out the window. Gender, race, identity, history, all of it thrown out the window so that he can get to what this woman needs. What she wants is water. What she needs is living water. And that's what he can offer her in this moment. So this is this beautiful story that we're finding a home in for the next few weeks. And it teaches us a little bit of something of what it means to go. So some of the things that we see in this story is that the power of story itself, that's what we're going to be looking at today, that that Jesus engages with her story, with where she's at, and then offers her this better story, this better trajectory from what she is heading towards. The power of signs and wonders next week, we'll look at that. Jesus speaks right into where she's at. He has this deep prophetic word, uh, so accurate about her life, and it unlocks something. The power of words that Jesus speaks truth into her very being. And in the power of invitation. Now all of us, probably sometime in our life, have been invited to church. Either out of faith or or not. And we've been invited so that we can be inviters. We're invited into the kingdom so that we can invite other people. So today we're going to be looking at the power of story. And stories are deeply powerful things. We are storytelling beings. We're story hearing beings. We love Stories, And in, in 2009, there was a journalist in the States called Rob Walker, and he wanted to try and ascertain what actually is the power of stories. How much power do these things have over us as human beings? And he had this idea. He said, he, he thought, maybe I could go and buy some objects on eBay. I could associate stories with them, put them back on eBay, and see if their value goes up, which is exactly what he did. So he bought 200 items in the States for around about a dollar each, and he got in touch with 200 authors, and he said, can you write a short story that links this item with something bigger than itself? We'll put it back on eBay, we'll put it with the story, and we'll see how they do. This is one of the items. This is an absolute true story. It's unbelievably creepy. Can we just have a little moment to name how weird that is? It's a bust of a horse's head. It's like a life-size horse's head. It's, it's, it's weird. Let's just name that right now. He bought it for 99 cents, and this is what it came back as. 
$62.95. Now, this is an absolute true story. You can go on the website. You can see the story. You can read it. I'm not going to lie. The story's weird. The story's quite dark. The story almost has nothing to do with the horse, but someone thought it was worth $62.95 or an increase of over 6,000% in its value. Unbelievable. And he did this with all of these items. So in total, he spent $129 on 200 items, and he made $8,000. Some Ebays in the room are like, I am getting some of this. This is what I'm doing right now. They're on Ebay, they're on the app, they're going. He gave it all to charity, bless him. (laughs) Stories are deeply... I'm going to get rid of the horse, it's weird. Stories are deeply powerful things. They're the currency of human relationship. It's how we relate to each other is through stories. Stories speak to our identity. They speak to a bigger reality of, of who we are, of creativity. They help us process. They draw us into something bigger than ourselves. And in this story of the woman at the world, there's this clash of stories going on. There's the story of the woman, of her past, of her history, of her present, what she needs in that moment, of her shame and her brokenness. There's this story of Jesus, of his journey to get there, of, of his disciples, where have they gone, of his purpose, of what he's offering her in that moment. And then there's a story that binds them together, which is the story of God. They start talking about this God that they worship and where should they do that and what does it look like to do that? They're bound together by the very person of who God is. And it strikes me that if we're called to leave, if we're called to go, if we're called to scatter around this city, around this nation, wherever we reside and wherever we're sent, then we need to become better storytellers. That is the compulsion that I feel. And let me just be really clear. I'm not saying that we should be better story sellers. There are lots of story sellers out there who will do anything that it takes to sell something through story, much like the guy on eBay, let's be clear. It's not that we're trying to convince, it's not that we're trying to compel, and Pete said this brilliantly a couple of weeks ago, it's that we're moved by love, not by duty, not by hype, not by drumming something up, but we're introducing people to a lover. We're introducing people to a creator, to love personified. And that means that we need to be able to tell the story of who he is. That we need to be able to tell the story of who this God is and what he has done in and through our lives. Story is the currency of relationship. And again, I just want to be really specific. That means that we need to be better about telling your story. Not the story of someone else, not the story of something that you read, but the story of what God has done in your life. The story of what he's doing in your life. And again, make it even more specific, not just to be able to tell the story so that maybe one day it will be shared, but we need to be better at telling your story to someone else. The one person who is sitting in front of you at work, at home, in your family, whatever that looks like on the long car journey. How good are we at telling the story of what God is doing in our lives and how that affects the person sitting right in front of us? You are a walking, talking, living, breathing storytelling machine. You have this deep story of what God has been doing in and through you. And here's the thing. It came up a couple of weeks ago that we're moved for the one. That whilst we we want to leave for the 99 and that's the commotion that we feel like we have, it starts with one person in front of you. And it's so easy to get distracted, to get overwhelmed by the weight of responsibility of how we do this for the 99. But it starts with one person. 
Jesus encountered one woman at a well, and that affected an entire town. And in a, a series that's primarily focused on sheep, you can imagine that the photos and the videos have been coming in to the email accounts of the staff team. Some of them are absolutely brilliant. And I found one video that Emma Kenny sent through which perfectly encapsulates what's going on. I'm just going to give you some context to what's about to happen in this video. We're going to need the volume up. What's about to happen in this video is you're going to see just like loads of sheep. There's going to be like 99 sheep. Let's just say this nine time. 99 sheep. And it's like, oh my goodness, I'm panicked. How am I going to share my story with all of these people? And then you forget that there's just the one person in front of you who's waiting for you to tell your story. And we get so easily distracted. It's only right that we do that one more time. Let's be really clear. Here it comes. So many distractions, so many people we could share with. And there's someone who's just waiting for you right there. Yeah, one last time. One last time. Oh, it's the little smile. Doesn't it break your heart? Here it comes. Oh. Melts my heart. Bless him. Not particularly helpful for the talk, but what it does say is it's so easy to get overwhelmed. It's so easy to just see numbers, to see people, and just be like, no, no, no. God has situated you perfectly to share your story, to interact your story with the story of another right in front of you and draw them into a bigger reality of who they are. Thanks, Kath. (laughs) And it starts with the one. You have the greatest gift that uh, we have to share about Jesus. Like, we all want to find the program. We all want to find the tool of how we could do this better. It's right within you. You have a story. You have a testimony. You have a history of what God has done, is doing, will continue to do in your life. And that is the greatest gift you could ask for. We need to become better storytellers. And that means that we need to become better acquainted with these three things. We need to become better acquainted as a community with the story of God, with God's story, with our own story and then with the story of another and what it looks like to share with another. So let's just start with God's story and we're going to get quite practical now. This is what it means to be reading through scripture. I just want to join some dots for a second. Like the reason that we're reading through the New Testament over this year isn't just so that we have some fun and that we're all doing the same thing. It's so that we are immersed in the narrative of scripture. It's so that we are immersed. We're living, breathing, starting our day, ending our day, whatever it takes, so that we know the story that we're a part of. It's why we have moments like this every single week on Sundays where we look at scripture and say, God, what are you saying to us? We want to immerse ourselves in his story. Our story, what does it look like to know what he's done in our own lives? We all have um, unique stories, and that's the way that God works. He's kind enough to meet us in our own way. But I sometimes think we can think of testimony and stories in, in three basic ways. The first is, is those that are, are breathtaking, and they're all in quotes because this is how we would uh, caricature them. There are breathtaking stories of the miraculous where healing comes in, where there's this unequivocal moment where God comes in and touches someone's life, and it's genuinely breathtaking. It is amazing. And, and you see it in, in this story, right, that he has this word for this woman, that he knows exactly what she's going through, he knows exactly the situation that she's in, and that speaks right to her heart. It touches her in her, her place of deepest pain, 
of her deepest guilt, but also her deepest vulnerability. And that means that he can, he can break through with his kingdom to exactly where she's at. And I just want to give you a quick story. So a few years ago, a couple of years ago, we went, we took a team out to Northern Ireland to learn from a church out there in, in this stuff and what it looks like to share your story and, and encourage other people in the story that they're drawn into. And we were on the last day and we were on the way back to um, the airport and Becca, who was part of that team and part of the church at the time, she, we were in Tesco just buying some snacks before we, we went, and she saw this guy in the corner of Tesco who was trying to, he, he worked at Tesco and he, he, he was struggling, he was like on crutches, and uh, he probably shouldn't have been working, let's be clear. Anyway, and he, he just didn't, he was struggling. And she went over to him and said, can I pray for you? It looks like you've really hurt your foot. And he said, yeah, I'd, I'd love that, it's a bit weird, but sure, I'd love that. So she t- takes another person with her, goes and prays for his, f- for his foot, is instantly healed. And he's like, who are you? And what on earth just happened? And she's kind of trying to explain we're on this trip, but we're kind of linked with this church and sh- trying to kind of get it all out. And he in that moment is like, wow, this Jesus person is amazing. So they start praying for him. He gives his life to Jesus. In that moment, there is a breathtaking moment where God can see what's wrong with this guy and says, I want to heal that. I want to make that right. And that spoke exactly to where he was at. That's the breathtaking story. There's also these moments where God comes and puts his finger on our brokenness. He comes and meets us in our brokenness. And again, you see that in this story, he just touches her right where she is, right where she feels the most pain. And here's what I love most about this story. A few paragraphs later, It says that she goes back to the town to Sychar and starts telling everyone, come and meet the man who told me everything I ever did. Now on the surface, that should be a story of unbelievable shame. Not only is she saying, he knew everything I ever did, but that now I'm coming and telling you everything I ever did. Can you believe this? It's awful, isn't it? But it's not that. It's turned from a story of shame into this incredible story of salvation. Her old wounds are now being held up by her and saying, can you see what God's done? Can you see who he is? Can you see how much he loves me? He loves you like that as well. Come and meet him. It's an incredible moment of transformation. So he can come and meet us in our brokenness. And finally, I think, again, for many of us in in this room will feel some of this. He can meet us in what can often feel like, and hear my language on this, can feel like the boring. It can feel like the long-term trudging, unworthy story where you don't see much, but you're just moment by moment walking further and further into his plans. This was my thing. So so last week we had our baptism service and about 11, 12 years ago, I got baptized in in a church in Nottingham. And, and they did something really similar where we asked people to come and share your story, share your testimony of what God's been doing in your life and why you're getting baptized and the difference that he's made in it. And I'm not being funny, but I was deeply nervous. And I'll tell you why. It was a big church. They did them twice a year, which meant that they had a lot of people getting baptized on, on any given baptism Sunday. And the person going before me was an amazing guy who had a literally breathtaking story. I mean, it was like rags to riches type. I mean, it was incredible. It's like someone make a film about this guy. It's waiting to be made. It was incredible. And hear my heart on this. I really want to honor those because that is God moving in incredible ways. But I felt so unworthy. Holding a microphone and saying, this is my story of what he's been doing in the faithful over time. It was just like, ooh. 
so disappointing. And that was my testimony, was like, I'm not sure that this story is even worth sharing, but I just feel like God's been doing something in my life over a really long time. And it's been the slow and steady, and it's got me here today. And I just want to share that with you. And not because I shared it in a particularly profound way, but people, person after person, came at the end of the service and said, that's my story. That's my story. And I've never been able to share that or articulate it or be proud of that. But that's my story, and I can see that God's fingerprints are all over what's been going on in your life, and I just want to celebrate that. I also want to just build my confidence and my faith that that's what he's been doing in me. And I think for many people in the room, if, you've, if you came to faith a long time ago, or if you, were, you grew up in a family where, um, an amazing family and, and heritage of faith, this can often be our feeling where it's like, story's not worth sharing. I'll just wait for the breathtaking, for the spectacular thing to happen in front of me because I'm not really sure it's worth sharing. And I just want to challenge that and say that's a lie. That is absolutely a lie. That is a story of faithfulness. It's a story of persistence. It's a story of a father who's come and chased after you over a really, really long time. And you should be proud of that story because that's not a story just about you. It's a story about what he's been doing. And here's the thing, all of these stories, whether we think that they're breathtaking, whether we think that they meet us in our brokenness, whether we find them to be a little bit boring and stale, they're all stories of kingdom breakthrough. They're all stories of breakthrough, and we need to know them as that, and we need to name them as that. Because here's the thing, if you remain in stories of, of the breathtaking, you will reside there, you'll set up camp there, and you will only go after the breathtaking. You will only go after the miraculous. If you don't attribute that to kingdom breakthrough, you'll only go after that. Similar with with brokenness. If God meets you in your brokenness and you don't move on from there to recognize that this is something way bigger, that it's pointing to something way bigger than just you and to him, you will stay in that place of brokenness. And you'll continually live a life, a pattern where you kind of dwell on that. Same with the boring. If we don't recognize that God is actually doing something amazing and has been for so long, you'll only own your story as something that's stale, that's boring, that's not worth sharing. And here's the thing, that when a story isn't shared, I'm convinced that a story goes stale. Our stories are the best currency that we have to share what God is doing in the world around us. And we've got to share them. It's a responsibility that we have. It's, it's the best tool that we have to share the goodness of who God is. And that means that we have to practice telling our own story. Not to be story sellers, but to have confidence in what God has done. To raise our own faith level so that we can raise the faith in in others. And you were just at the beginning talking to someone next to you and you were sharing your story of how you came to here. And I just want us, again, for the next couple of minutes, turn to that same person. And this is going to be a little bit more awkward than it was at the beginning. Some of you can keep talking about palindromes, but I will judge you. Let's be clear. And I want you to just share your story of how you came to faith, if you have come to faith. And I want us to just use a real basic um, mechanism. It's going to be like 90 seconds each. What was life like before you met Jesus? Can you remember those moments? What was life like? How did you meet Jesus? What was that encounter? What happened? And what has life been like since? So we're going to do that for 90 seconds, then we're going to swap over. If you don't have a faith, if you've turned up here by accident, if you've been dragged here, if you're like, what the heck is this guy on and what is he talking about? Then do the existential thing about how you got here. Why are you sat in the room? Did you get here by accident? That is a story, and I want to name it. It's as valuable a story. Own that story. Turn to the person next to you. So 90 seconds from one person. Share your story using that framework. Here's what I'm convinced about. Here's what I'm convinced about. In order to see more kingdom breakthrough, we need to tell more stories. 
In order to tell more stories, we need to know the story that we have. In order to know the story that we have, we need to practice telling our story. And so I just want to give us two super practical things and challenges to do this week. And both of them are going to feel like a high bar. And I'm really up for setting a high bar. So let's just see how we go with this. The first is this. Tell your story to a camera this week. Like just your iPhone. Just hold it in front of you. Give yourself 90 seconds. What's the elevator pitch? Like what, what is your story? What was life like before you met Jesus? How did you meet him? And what has life been like since? And I'm going to be honest with you. The first few times you do it, it's going to be unbelievably awkward. You're going to stop recording after 16, 17 seconds and just be like, this is crazy. Persist with it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep honing it so that you know your story. And just part B of that, if you're really, if you're a keen bean, don't just record it. Send it in to us at stories at kxc.org.uk. Oh, the anxiety's gone right up. I love that. Here's the reason I want to I suggest that we should do this. is isn't so that we have some catalogue of, of all of your stories and that we can just pick on them at any given time and kind of say, oh, you said this. Here's what I'm convinced of. We are given this gift of community, which is a safe place to practice this and to build the faith of one another. Exactly what happened in prophecy earlier on. So we want to get to a place where we're sharing these stories with one another not because we're trying to convince one another about the faith that we have or anything like that, but just to build confidence, to build faith, to see faith levels increase in our community. Oh my goodness, God's been doing that in your life. That is incredible. I never knew that. I've sat next to you for seven years and never heard that story. Same thing for the other person, same thing for the other person, same thing for the other person. It's incredible what God is doing in our community, and we want to share those stories. So send them in. I promise you that we won't put them anywhere that you're not expecting to be unless we ask you. So don't feel like we're going to kind of now use and abuse your story. But we want to create a place where we can encourage one another, that we can build faith, that we can build confidence of what God is doing in our community so that we can build the confidence to go and do this outside of our community. That is the the point that's the end game here and here's the second thing I want to challenge you to do is tell your story to someone outside this room this week go into work shoehorn yourself into a position where you share your story just a real simple story about what God has done in your life tell someone tell a colleague tell a family member tell a flatmate tell your neighbor tell your story be proud of what God has done in your life. And I just want to finish with this. We've talked about God's story, about our story within that. And, and I just want to have a little note about the story of another. Here's the, the most beautiful part for me about this story of Jesus and the, the Samaritan woman. Is that Jesus takes the time to listen to her story. That he sits with her. That he hears her pain that he hears exactly where she is at, that he allows her to process. He listens to her story. And we need to be the kind of people that take time to know the story of another. Because when we know the story of another, we can help draw them into a bigger story. But we have to hear the story. We're not story sellers. We're storytellers and we're story hearers. That is who we are. And I just want to ground all of this in in a really practical story that happened a few months ago. Some of you will have heard this. Um, And it's not that the story itself is particularly profound or powerful or anything like that, um, except it's just to give 
an indication of how straightforward this stuff is, how simple this stuff can be. So a few months ago, I was still training to be a vicar at the time, and I uh, was going to help another vicar in East London with a funeral. So I put on a suit. I hadn't put a suit on since I'd worked in the city a few years before, so it felt a little bit weird. And I was really stressed and quite flustered. It was like in the middle of summer. I just found the whole thing. I was like feeling really disorientated. So I was running super late, and I get in an Uber because I'm running late to head um, to East London. And one thing you need to know about me is that I love chatting to Uber drivers. This is like the thing. I'm a big extrovert. I really enjoy those moments. So I'm always like, I sit down. I'm like, how are you doing? When did your shift start? When did it end? What's your family like? Oh, that's so cool. I've got a little girl as well. You know, and then we're like into this whole thing. And I was not in that place whatsoever. I was like, phone up, emails, don't want to engage with you, got stuff on my mind, got stuff to do, bit flustered, bit overwhelmed, not interested in talking to you. But we did a bit of a polite conversation and it kind of went back and forth and then we just stopped. And I just felt God say in that moment, this like quiet voice within it, much like what would have been happening in the, in the prophecy for lots of people earlier on, ask him how he's really doing ask him how he's really doing. Simple enough. And I was like, no, thank you. I've got some emails to do. I've got some stuff to get on with. I'm about to do this funeral. Funerals are quite important, so I'm not interested. He said, no, no, ask how he's really doing. So feeling like a bit of an idiot, I just said, I know we kind of had that chat before, but can I ask you how you're like really doing? How are you actually doing? And um, this, this guy, Shaquille, who was driving the Uber, just started basically opening up his heart. Out of nowhere, he started talking about his family, about his faith. He had a different faith about where he was at. He was asking what I did, and he found that fascinating, and he wanted to ask all about that. And we were kind of exchanging these, these versions and, and stories and narratives about who God was and who we thought he was and what that meant for us and the way we lived our life. And he found it all really interesting. And I was talking about Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father and, and how those, you know, all this kind of stuff. I loved it. because I, I, Yeah, anyway, I loved, I loved it. Eventually. I wasn't really up for the beginning. I loved it in time. And he said, it's really funny, um, John. He said, this feels like part two of a conversation. Because a couple of weeks ago, I was doing a, a job down in Clapham. And I met this uh, guy who was talking about the Holy Spirit. And he like, was really going off on one. And he was talking about um, who he was. And that it would be really good for me to meet him. And how would we do that? And all this kind of stuff. And I said, that's interesting. What did he do? And he said, oh, he's another young guy young guy, take that. Um, another young guy who is training to be a vicar. I was like, well, not loads of those. So um, was his name Tim? Because I was currently training at the time with a guy called Tim down in Clapham. He said, yeah, Tim with a bust up car. And I was like, yeah, he does have a bust up car. That is Tim. So suddenly we're now talking about the conversation two weeks ago with my friend Tim, where he introduced the concept of who the Holy Spirit might be. And I said to, to him, you know, do you wonder whether like God's on a bit of a mission with you? Do you wonder whether he's got something that he wants to say to you or do with you? Does, do you maybe want to meet the Holy Spirit? So he goes, I think I would like that. Let's, um, let's do that. When do we do that? Do we like put a you know, thing in the diary? I was like, no, no, we can do that. We can do that right now. So he said, okay, great. Let's do that right now. So we're on Old Street Roundabout. I'm in the back of the car. I'm like hand on the shoulder. <laughs> he kept his eyes open, which we're all thankful for. <laughs> and he had this, this beautiful peaceful, chilled encounter with God. And it was really stunning. And we, we got to the end and um, he was asking about the church in Clapham, which I took to be slightly personally offensive. I didn't want to come here, but anyway. Um, and he then connected with Tim and, and there it goes. And here's, here's the point. Not that the story is particularly amazing. It started with a question. How are you really doing? 
It unlocked his heart to tell his story. It unlocked his heart to be interested in my story. And the collision of those two meant that we could talk about a far bigger story and he could meet the creator of the universe. This stuff is so simple. But we have to be better at telling our own stories. You and I, we were created for relationship. Created for relationship with God, with each other, with those that we work with, where we live, our families, our friends. And there will be countless stories in this room of kingdom breakthrough, of kingdom transformation. And we need to own those stories. We need to be able to share those stories because those stories are the currency of human relationship with everyone around you. Everyone in your workplaces, everyone in your flats, in your halls, and all of those places that we do everyday life. J.K. Rowling, who obviously wrote Harry Potter, she, she once said that no story lives unless someone wants to listen. Now, I'm not entirely sure what I think about that, but here's what I do know, is that there's a city outside these walls who wants to know and wants to hear a better story than the one that they are wrapped up in. That story, on an individual level, resides within you. It resides within me. We need to be better at knowing and telling the power of our own story and what God has been doing in us.